27 minutes it is before the uh, top of the hour. We now go into our Thought Leader Thursday. And uh, I'm going to be joined shortly. He's already here in studio by our Thought Leader on this uh, Thursday. And uh, his name is Mtetonyati. He is the Chief Executive Officer at uh, Ultron and uh, also the author of Betting on a Dark Years. He's going to talk to us here. He's a man who has had uh, a very interesting journey in the world of ICT, having worked at the likes of AfriHost, MTN, uh, Microsoft and IBM, mechanical engineer by training. And he joins us shortly for our Thought Leader Thursday. It is indeed. And uh, allow me at this point to uh, welcome my guest, Baumtet. Hi. Thank you for having me here. I guess it's interesting. I mean, I often, uh, the last time I spoke to you, we were talking about the results of Ultron uh, on an entirely different platform. Mm -hmm. But uh, that being said, I mean, it's interesting that I get the opportunity now to speak not to Mtetonyati, the uh, CEO, about the results, but to speak to Mtetonyati, the man about the journey. Yeah, it's great to be here, and uh, and I, I took the time to to write a book, uh, largely because uh, you know there's so many people who are looking at uh, you know mentorship, mm. and when I, I, I and I used to engage with them, and I continue to do that, mm. but I've realized that I just cannot scale. You sure, know, I sure. need I needed to find another way to to reach them, mm. and this is just one of those. Uh, okay. Uh, tools that i'm using all right let's take a step back uh the early days mm-hmm. mtat uh who what was the young mteto like <laughs> uh, the young mteto was uh, like most young people quite naughty and uh, at any given opportunity i used to do not so good things uh, but I, I grew up in an environment where my my mother was quite a strict uh, mm. a, a person, and she both my parents were teachers, and at some point, uh, you know, I come from a very large family. Uh, my family is like ten of us. Mm. Uh, uh, b- b- before I knew about our president, you know, m- meaning the former president, uh, I used to think that we were the only family that is so huge, you know, and. <laughs> <laughs> But, but immediately I heard about our former president's his family. I said, "Oh no, we're good." You know? <laughs> so, so when my when my mom uh, realized, in fact, she inherited this family, uh, she decided, "No, let me go and start up a, a business." Mm. And she branched off into entrepreneurship, started a business, and that is that forms part uh, a huge part of my life because i grew up from that sho- in in that shop mm. yes mm. talk to us i guess about you know those early days uh, and your foray into the then university of natal to go and study mechanical engineering mm. uh, or even earlier i mean uh, i understand what you went to school at st john's college in tata yes, yes, uh, yes. how was that transition and that bridge between uh, st john's and uh, the university of natal during those uh, those days where I guess it's not like campuses now where uh, everywhere you walk you see people that look like you. <laughs> yeah, so 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 I had a dad who wanted uh, seriously wanted to become a doctor himself. And mm. uh, so he planted this idea that I should be a doctor. Uh, the good thing that happened to me is uh, I ended up representing South Africa in the International Science Youth Olympiad in wow. in London, UK in 1980. And and that opened my eyes towards in terms of 
the careers that were out there. Say, oh, my goodness, you know, m- my dad must, may have been saying that I should be this, but in reality, when I look at my capabilities, mm. I should actually become an engineer. So I came back there being very clear that I should be an engineer. I applied, I ended up applying to, to go to Natal University. Uh, of course, during those days, you just could not go into those universities without a permit. Mm. Uh, the minister had to <laughs> had to give you a permit to go study in a white university. Uh, as one of the few black engineers, P, uh, students uh, that were there, and in fact, in my class when I graduated in 1985, I uh, was actually the only black uh, engineer who graduated. You know, uh, How so was it was, that? It was mean, quite lonely. Wasn't that your uh, assignments, uh, group, group assignments? No. <laughs> so, so as black students, we could not stay at uh, at the university. You know, you could mm. go and only study there during the day, but have to go uh, in terms of residence. Tumlazi, uh, yeah, Tumlazi. Mm. But I was fortunate that uh, I had to go at uh, Alan Taylor residence, which was the medical school. Mm. Uh, there, there was a black uh, residence. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I was. So it was tough in the sense that when you have to uh, use things like libraries you can't because at a certain point you have to go mm. home you know, go to your to your rest uh, but we formed maybe in, after in 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 year two and year three we started to form some some working relationship with your white colleagues mm. uh, and really when we get got to uh, year four which was our final year uh, there was no real issue, you know. We were just a team. Mm. You know, uh, we, we saw past the the race thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But also, 1985. I mean, uh, mm. the context fundamentally different to where we are. Yes. You know, debt crisis, yeah. townships burning all over the place. Townships burning. Consumer boycotts uh, everywhere. A, a student, mm. I was actually a member of Azaso at the time, and the UDF was quite active mm. at the time. So, we were very, very much uh, uh, us as Azaso we were very active members of UDF. Sure. Uh, sure. In fact, we were, we, some of us uh, attended the the launch of the UDF in Cape Town. So, one of the highlights that uh, you know. When I look at it, uh, in fact, I was also very active in the ANC underground. Mm. Uh, had to go to Lesotho from time to time to go get some instructions around things. So, so that is what f- formed us during those times. Mm. Uh, our own residence, we, it was being used by by the MK members coming in and out of the country. You know, uh, you didn't have to know much what is that they were coming there to do, but all you would do was to just facilitate, make sure that make sure they have a bed. Yeah, they've yeah. got a bed. You mm. know? Yeah, those were our small contributions to to, to you know to the changes that we wanted to see in our country. Mm, mm. Yeah. So guys, I want us to pause there for a second uh, and I want to take a quick spot break. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as an engineer, you would know a bit more about some of this equipment around me here and what it does. <laughs> but I want us to take a, a quick spot break. When we come back, uh, we take a look, I guess, at uh, you know the role of companies like IBM at that time in employing black professionals, your own experiences mm. uh, in that space and maybe some of the strides uh, we've made. I mean, you know, if you think back to... 30 years ago, mm-hmm. the phones we take for granted yeah. were not a reality. Mm. Um, and I want us maybe to speak about how your own life journey coincides with all of these uh, rapid moves in the world of technology. I'm in conversation with uh, um, Teton Yati, he's the CEO at Ultron, also the author of uh, Betting on a Darky. I'd love to hear from you, and uh, you might have questions for Ruba Um Teto. Please give us a ring on 089 110 3377. 089 110 3377.
It is indeed, and we've got 15 minutes before 9 p.m. I'm in conversation with the CEO of Ultron and the author of uh, Betting on Ataki, and that is Mteto Nyati. And Mbao Mteto, uh, just before we went to the break, we were speaking about uh, your days as a student in uh, Guazulu Natal uh, at the University of Natal then, which, what is now, I guess, UKZN. Yes. Um, and um, briefly, so you leave UKZN, uh, but this also coincides, I guess, with the divestment of many American firms yes. from South Africa. And many of those who remained, I guess, made commitments to say, yeah, we know South Africa has apartheid, but actually as a global firm, we're going to hire whomever we want to hire. Mm. And uh, mm. according to many accounts, that created uh, some space for black professionals in firms like IBM. Yeah. You know, there, there was a, a, a gentleman by the name of Sullivan uh, who influenced a number of, uh, of uh, U.S. multinationals. He came up with what is called a Sullivan Code. Mm. Uh, basically, you know, without, without saying too much... Th- the American companies uh, decided to treat people equally, you know, whether it's black or white. Effectively, they undermined apartheid, mm. you know. And that created a, a huge opportunity for, for black people to enter those companies and get into professional roles, mm. which they could not in other, op- in other organizations. And, and that's the kind of role that a, a company like IBM played. A significant number of our leaders uh, in this country were trained by, by IBM. Mm. And, and I'm one, actually one of those uh, leaders that were trained. In fact, I even uh, got to uh, an opportunity to go and up and and uh, work in 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 Paris for mm. for four years w- th- w- through IBM. That international experience uh, helped me a lot. When I look now at the kind of roles that I'm playing mm. here, uh, the ability to operate across about 20 different countries, uh, running a, a, a business which is about a 99 billion dollar business. You know uh, that gives you. Uh, the responsibility that mm. you just cannot get in South Africa. Yeah. So when I come back here and I'm taking all of these uh, roles that I'm taking and and it seems like I'm, it's, it's, they are easy, but it's, it's because of the kind of training that uh, this, these companies uh, uh, did to people like myself. Mm. You know? So they play a significant role. So, But at the time, it's also difficult coming back here in South Africa. Uh, there were roles that <laughs> you, know, you, could not, you could not go and become a salesperson uh, in private sector if you are black. You know, your responsibility was to become a sales guy in you know, in, Just in, in the black in, community, in, yeah, yeah, in, in public sector, you know, mm. you go and deal with blacks there. Mm, you know, yeah. mm, mm. So, so yeah, it was tough. So I won again. I was one of the first guys to be given the opportunity to 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 take responsibility mm. in the private sector, and and that shaped also some sure. of my thinking with regards to oh, okay, this is how things work or mm. they, don't, they don't work. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. L- let's talk just briefly about the readiness. Mm. So the liberation movement comes back right. uh, into South Africa. Yes. But the readiness to, to engage in debates around cellular telephony and uh, all manner of things. Mm. Well, one person was recounting to me the story of how uh, MTN was set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it was initially MCEL or something of that kind. Yes. But he says, you know, there was a big debate at the time in Codesa because the licensing of cellular technology was going to happen. Uh, and it took, I guess, one guy who was a former unionist and who also had to happen to have a PhD in physics, who went to the leadership and said, hey, guys, actually wake up here. Uh, the uh, spectrum of the people is going to be privatized 
even before we take power. Mm. Um, and it's and, and and I mean an example of that shows you that you know we potentially didn't see it coming and how yeah. dominant and how big it could potentially could be. Just talk to us about those early days. You know, in those early days, uh, the the landline business was the predominant business, meaning mm. uh, we did not know about cellular business. In fact, uh, even the best estimates of Vodacom at the time they they never went beyond uh, a million subscribers. Wow. You know, so so in their best scenario, a million subscriber, if they had that in 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 three or four years, they would have been you know. You know the best case scenario. Uh, in reality, those numbers were were multiplied by two or three times. You know, uh, so so the, the 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 impact of mobile was n- was highly underestimated. Everybody was still thinking landline telecom, telecom, mm. telecom. How do we protect telecom? You know. And, and, and but the good thing is that there were people like Andy Lengaba mm. who had taken the time to go and understand these environments both locally and, and abroad, mm. and 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 also he was somebody who was also politically connected. Sure, he was sure. quite influential in helping shape and, and change the direction of the ANC mm. to help them understand the space. And he was the leader when it came to even coming up with regulation. Mm. And most of what we are doing, we have today can be attributed back to Andil. Mm. The Ikasa we know today. Yes, yes. Mm. Uh, and we need now, uh, but now things have changed. We're now in the fourth industrial revolution. Mm. Right? We, 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 But we're still having regulation that is managing you know, the past. We need to make that leap again to come up with things that talk to the, the environment mm. that we have today. What, what, what piece of regulation do you, do you think is archaic from where you're sitting? Uh, where you say, I saw Andu Akdalalit. Lengelasi approaching Ireland is not the way, uh, ideally, that is compatible with uh, the four IR. No, just if, if you look at uh, the way we're thinking about spectrum, you mm. know, the, the, how we allocate the spectrum, uh, we. <laughs> What we don't know is that if if we can just give this thing and and open up the space, it's going to drive so much growth, mm. and we are holding on to it, uh, thinking that if we can give it to these one or two people, it will be a great thing. Whereas we're actually stifling the entire country mm. because the entire country depends. It's like the oxygen. Mm. The spectrum is the oxygen that this country needs to drive uh, the growth that it needs. You know? And the fact that we have not been making decisions around this thing, we will. when they, people write history about this mm. country, it's going to be one of those yeah. areas where we will say that the ANC failed mm. this country. Let's know? pause there, take a brief break. When we come back, mm. I want us to take a look at Ultron. That's uh, Bill Fenter's old company, right? Yes. Mm. Five minutes before uh, the uh, top of the hour. It's our Thought Leader Thursday. And uh, my Thought Leader on this uh, Thursday is uh, CEO at Ultron, Mteto Nyati. And uh, we're talking uh, to him about uh, the world of ICT and his own journey in that space. And uh, Nyati, before we went to the break, I, I guess you, you were saying one of the biggest mistakes or when we look at the legacy of the ANC, one of the biggest blunders they will have made in that historic legacy will be this particular issue of spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we sit here at the SABC and uh, many of the issues around the migration from analog to digital continue to hold us back. Yes. Uh, and uh, I mean, I'm quite interested to hear from you when you put your hat on now as the CEO of Ultron. Yes. And you work in this kind of environment where for all of the 5G to happen, for all of these nice business and use cases for this exponential technology we have, 
we have to release, as you said, this water or life force yes. that gives rise to that. Uh, what are some of the conversations you then have with uh, people like Minister uh, Stellan Dabini Abrahams or even some of your former comrades? So, so uh, companies like uh, MTN, Vodacom, Celsi, Telcom, they, they all need the spectrum, you know. And, and we, as general, all private sector, even public sector companies, because we're using internet, we depend on these uh, communications mm. companies uh, for that. So if they are constrained, we are constrained as an economy. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's the, that's the, the relationship. So what I would say that our discussion with, with, uh, with the minister is that to release the spectrum mm. yeah, and through a, a, an auction process. And, and our advice uh, is that, uh, in fact, because we are so close to 5G, as many of the other countries have already moved into 5G, try and combine the two things. Mm. <laughs> Let's not have another study that is looking at, uh, you know, what is it that we should be doing about 5G that takes another five years. Mm. You know, we would have missed completely the boat. Let us deal with the, the 4G spectrum and the 5G at the same time mm. and address this thing. Then it will help this country to catch up. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And free up the economy and, and, and let's get on with it. Mm. So that's the kind of conversations that we're having. And uh, that's the kind of conversation that ICASA itself is having with the minister. Let's and and, yeah, and, yeah. and needs to be supported there. Mm. And uh, I mean, uh, much of your own business, uh, uh, based as it is on technology, yes. uh, is dependent on some of the use cases, be it on the Internet of Things, be yes. it in robotics, yes. and many other things. Mm. And uh, and I want us to talk, I guess, about where ethics interfaces with some of those technologies. Yes, yes. Uh, you, you're dealing with an ethical issue uh, at the moment in uh, your own business, uh, yes. where whistleblowers have come to you and spoken about procurement irregularities. Some of your competitors, the likes of EOH, mm are dealing with their own issues, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, also, I guess, blur the line between private sector and the state mm-hmm. in the case of EOH. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about those ethics because mm-hmm. also on the one hand, aside from just the corruption issues, there's the ethics of who codes the algorithms, who mm-hmm. codes mm-hmm. Uh, the internet of things that is going to be used in our cars, in our fridges, mm-hmm. uh, in, and in all of the things that we can touch and feel. Yeah. So, so one of the big things that uh, myself together with my leadership team decided to do two and a half years ago was to focus our business on values you know mm. so we have been implementing these values rolling them throughout the organization training people on ethics you know because you know what you, you, if if you are in any organization you are a microcosm of society yes. you'll have good people there you have got bad people you you will have you just have to assume that you have those bad people and put together the controls mm. that helps you to pick up those bad people and and it was quite uh, interesting for us to see that uh, a number of our employees uh, have decided to come up and and said look there are practices that we do not quite like which would not are not quite consistent with what is what w- with our policies we would like the company to look at that mm. that to us is actually we celebrate that because it means that our own processes are working our employees are rooting out the things that are not consistent with the values of the company. Mm. And, and, and that is what we decided, although the, the materiality of the issues that we've identified is so small, it's like talking about 20 million and mm. 23 million there, it's very, very small in the bigger scheme of, of the sizes of our numbers. Mm. We decided to take a very, very firm action around, around this thing by suspending these senior leaders because to us, it is something that is not 
which just cannot accept within our company. Uh, going back to now the issues of uh, who do who does the coding, mm. you know, this is a worrying uh, thing. We need to make sure that the technologies, as we move into what was called artificial intelligence, and we, if we have people that are racist, right? Those people, if they are coding these robots. As these robots do things, they will behave in line with how they have been programmed. Exactly. So we need to be very careful in, in, in terms of how uh, uh, our own programmers are, are doing things and, and how we check whether they are doing things in the right way or mm. not. To, to take out the biases, you know, people are, are running around today with the biases. And if we allow uh, computers to take over, some of those biases will move mm. into the machines yeah. and that's not what do, we want. Do, do we not maybe need more people that have a world view yes. uh, that is different maybe to say a white male whose worldview is Palo Alto in California? Do, do we not maybe need that to diversify I guess the kind of world outlook that inform, informs the AI, informs the algorithms and all of that? You know, what has been surprising to me and, and quite pleasing is to see the changes that have happened within Ultron, you know. Mm. And, and we have been focusing on what I call these values. And these are values which talk about respecting uh, one another, diversity, mm. inclusion. You know, it's not going to be done overnight. But when I look at how a number of people have shifted, you know, because we don't shy away from mm. having these tough conversations sure. about things. And people are shifting not just shifting within the company, even when they go back to their own homes, the way their beliefs have changed. This is what we, we cannot we cannot say we don't need these whites. <laughs> we need everybody in this country to help us to build this country. Mm. You know? But we need to start working on some of the beliefs that people have that are not necessarily helping mm. with the agenda of our country sure. and address those beliefs. Okay. Mm. You've got a book there next to you, Betting on a Darkie. Yes. And uh, just briefly, as we wrap up, unfortunately, it's just you and Alec Klesha. Mm -hmm. uh, the process of writing that and where can people lay their hands on that uh, publication? So it took me uh, the whole of last year to, to write this book. Mm. And 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 uh, I used to use my Saturdays, uh, three hours on Saturdays to, to, to put a pen to paper. And it's been quite a uh, you know, very, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been tough mm. doing that. But uh, now that I see the product, I'm, I'm excited sure. about it. People can get the book from all exclusive books uh, throughout the country. Mm. And they uh, currently it is, it is the, it is the, it's the best seller in the country. Okay. I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm excited about the fact that there's a lot of support from mm. everybody. Let's keep uh, reading it. Let's comment about it. Let's discuss it. Mm. Okay. Check us one. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking time out to speak to us this evening. Mtetonyati, the CEO of Ultron and also the author of Betting on a Daki, our thought leader on this Thursday. That's where we're going to have to leave it for this week. I'm back with you again on Monday. You have yourself a great uh, evening and a great weekend and take strength. Sisegulendo nangoku, yoko yibanga, le economy.